It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about the world's greatest shave. The world's greatest shave is one of the country's longest running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change, that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, Do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. 
So, let's get into today's episode. Today, Vanessa interviews Robin Matthews, who lives on the land outside of Sejuna. Robin is a hard-working dump truck driver building roads for the Indigenous community. While working out on the APY lands, which is 700 kilometres west of Marla and can be found in the far northwest of South Australia, Robin was diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma in 2021. Robin tells his story of what it was like to be diagnosed in a rural area, all while managing his grief after losing his beloved wife to cancer, just months before his own diagnosis. Robin shares how his family have been his strength in his darkest days and how finding a community within the Leukaemia Foundation helped him manage his diagnosis. So today's podcast, we welcome Robin Matthews. He's a man that has come from the Yarralina community outside of Sejuna to have his treatment with us at Lightsview in Adelaide and um, he's going to the Royal Adelaide Hospital for that treatment. He is here today to share his story because he has a bit of a story to tell about how he was first diagnosed and the journey that it took to actually get to see a medical professional. So if you'd like to start with that story, Robin, uh, we welcome you here today. Yeah, thank you, Vanessa. Yeah, my journey started up on the APY lands, actually, Um, probably about 700 k's west of Marla. Um, I'm working on a dump truck up there, um, building roads for the Aboriginal communities and everything. And um, I got up um, one evening, I was sitting in the garage there, having a yarn to some of the men up there, and one of my mates from Penong, he actually said to me, mate, he said, you're losing a lot of weight. And I said, yeah, well, I'm working 21 days straight and 14, 15 hour days. I said, I've got to lose weight, you know. He said, no, no, he said, you're really dropping weight. And it sort of worried me a little bit because um, at night time and everything, I lay on my back and I could sort of feel my ribs and everything. And I thought, something's going on here. Um, probably hard work, that's all. And then um, next morning I got up and jumped on the dump truck, six o'clock in the morning, went to work. And about nine o'clock, I felt actually physically sick and I, and I actually dozed off. And um, next thing is a beep, beep, beep. And I got an excavator alongside me loading me. He said, um, you're right, mate? And I said, yeah, I'm right. I just had a little doze. He said, you were dozing for five minutes. He said, I couldn't even wake you up. He said, um, are you okay? And I said, no, nah, I don't really feel in a flash. I'm going to jump out for a minute. So I jumped out. Then I was actually physically sick, and I never get sick like that in the morning, ever. And I knew there was something wrong. So I said, no, nah, look, I've got to pull the pin. I've got to go and make some phone calls back in, see if I can get in. And um, There's five clinics on the communities up there on the APY lands and I was unable to get into any of them just on a Saturday morning and unless it was an emergency and they'd get the flying doctor in. Well, I knew it wasn't an emergency, but I knew I was sick. So um, I rang Coompedia Hospital and they didn't have a doctor on board until Monday, which is two days' time, so I rang Port Augusta Hospital and they were fantastic. They really, really were. They said, look, if you can get down here as soon as possible. I said, well, I'm probably nine or 11 hours away from you. Um, and I said, I've got a fair way to go. Nearly 1,100 k's to travel. I said, I probably won't get down tonight, but I'll see how I go. Um, usually I can drive that 11 hours, it doesn't worry me. 
but this time I just couldn't. And I got down as far as Glendamba, about 500 k's away from Port Augusta, and, and I physically and mentally I was drained. I just had to camp for the night. Got up next morning and I felt a little bit better, drove into Port Augusta, got in there about about 12, and um, the emergency nurse that was on there at the time said, look, you're probably going to have to wait him a couple of hours. We've got people in front of you. And I said, no, fair enough. Long as I'm here now. Mm. But then five minutes after, there's a doctor come out. And she said, is there a Robin Matthews here? And I said, yeah, there is. He said, uh, Robin, I want you to come straight in here from what you told me on the phone. There's something really drastically wrong with you. So got me in there. And within half an hour, they'd be under a CT scan. Um, and that took two hours to look at the results and everything. And they said, we're going to meet you in the hospital straight away. You've got lumps all over you. All your lymph nodes are all swollen like golf balls out here from what we can see. So um, we're talking about doing a biopsy tomorrow on you um, underneath your arm, take one of your lymph nodes out, and we'll take it from there. So I camped in the hospital at nine. And I do have to say they were fantastic and really well, the way they look after everything. Mm. Um, next morning, they booked me into surgery, took the lymph node out and everything, and they said, now, you can go home. They said, um, but if you go home and everything, it's going to be seven days before we get results back from Royal Adelaide. So um, obviously, you can't go back to work. And I said, no, I'll, I'll travel up. I'll drive back up. So, you know, it's only six hours to drive back up. So we'll go back up there. So I got in there that four o'clock that afternoon, and um, five past four, I got a phone call from Royal Adelaide, and they wow. said, um, we're supposed to ring you in six days' time, but um, the doctor in Port Augusta said, this is pretty urgent um, from the CT scan and everything, we'd like you to come to Adelaide on the Tuesday, and that's only um, one day after I just got home. So wow. I said, yeah, I can, I'll travel there, no worries. So I left that same night and drove to Port Augusta and the next morning into Royal Adelaide and they put me straight into hospital for a fortnight, but they were unsure what it was. Mm. Um, they didn't diagnose as lymphoma first. They thought it was a, um, a rare bacterial disease that happens in the Northern Territory and that. And um, it's like a, um, how would you say, it's like a bacteria that gets into your bloodstream. And is that so, the one that comes from the dirt? Is that the? That's the one that comes from the dirt. I've the heard dust. of that up in Darwin. Yeah. And because I've been working, I work in the dust all the time. You know, the old dump truck under air conditioner, everything, and you're covered in red dirt all the time. Mm. And plus, I worked on the Maralinga lands on and off for fifty years in the radioactive area. Um, uh. That didn't help much either. That was on my mind a lot. But um, once I got in the hospital there, it took them. 14 days, and they still were unable to diagnose um, Hodgkin's lymphoma um, stage four. And they said, we're going to do another two biopsies, which they did, one on my jaw. And then the last one, they took a full lymph node out of my groin. And they said, it's going to be a week before we know all the results. And then you can go home for about four or five days if you want. And I said, oh, that'd be good. So I drove back to St. Germain that afternoon. Mm. Um, only made it at Port Augusta and they rang me from Port Augusta and said, no, nah, you've got to come back in. You've got Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, the blood cancer, and it's wow. really, really bad. So I drove back into Adelaide that night. Next morning I was in um, at Royal Adelaide there, saw my hematologist, 
um, saw my limp, um, limo coordinator, lymphoma mm-hmm. coordinator. She was fantastic too. They, they really are there. And um, they said, well, this is what's happening, and it's really bad. And they said, this is in November now, in November. We want to start you on heavy chemo, probably the heaviest chemo we've ever done before wow. because you're just riddled with it. Your whole body's just riddled with cancer. And we don't even know if we can get rid of it. But um, we think if we can hit you with this hard stuff, uh, but it's going to be painful. I said, yeah, I've been painful before. I've been to Ben's twice and I've been 80 feet down. I'm oh, wow. I'm not really? Oh, yeah. I mean, don't you worry. I've been shot in the face. 33 years ago and had 17 operations on my face. So, yeah, I'm in a pretty hard life. Don't worry about that. Mm. But I know what pain is. Mm. And and I don't know whether I should have gone through it because the pain, pain from that lymphoma was terrible. It was. Okay. And the chemo and that, you know. But um, they said, you can go, we want you to go home for a week, talk to your family, work out what you want to do, but we want to start as soon as possible. So no, no, no. So I want to start it now. So three days time, I started my chemo, and um, on the twenty seventh of January, um, they did another scan of me, CT scan and a PET scan, and they said, "Look at this." They said, "It looks like we've just about got it all from that heavy chemo." Amazing. But you're going to have to stay here. I've done chemo for four months now. I've got another three months of light chemo to do. It still knocks me around a fair bit, mm. um, but it's not as painful as what the first lot was, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm on the men, and I've already organised my boss. I'm going back to work at the end of June, um, back up on the bulldozer and the dump truck again. So That's amazing as well. Work. Yep. Um, just occupy my mind more than anything, you know? Yes, and I think you've done really well in terms of your energy levels as well. You you've had your down times, but I think you you know you're always quite sprightly. You've, you've hung on to your energy quite yeah. Well. I am in that regard, but mm. see the the double whammy I got hit with is mm. when they when they said about the um, Hodgkin's lymphoma stage four, which is a bad one, um, and it's a rare Hodgkin's. Mm-hmm. Um, then they hit me with another one and said I got tuberculosis on the brain and I've had mm. that for 20 years. Um, but it's laying dormant at the moment and they're really worried that the chemo would kick it off and then I'm yes. in big trouble, could develop into a brain tumour. So that knocked me around mentally and I went really low. And I mean really low. I didn't know even know what to do, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't want to talk to the kids. I didn't want to talk to my grandchildren, anybody. Um I remember that, and yeah, I remember I remember really, the day that you came in to tell us that it was clear yeah. when they when they were looking for a brain tumour, and you came in to show us the scan that it was clear. It was a very happy day. It most certainly was, Vanessa. Mm. It was, you know, and that then picked me up mentally. So mm. yeah, I'm back up on top of the world again. I'm thinking of what's happening in the future, um, whereas before I couldn't think anything like that. It was no. just that downtime sort of. And I, no. and I realised a lot of people go through worse than what I go through. Don't worry about that, you know, but it is a shock to the system. See, I lost my wife 15 mm-hmm. months ago from cancer, um, gallbladder cancer, and they were unable to help her with the chemo and the surgery because of the COVID and she was 74 years old. 
So that was a big thing on me. I didn't want my children and grandchildren to go through what they saw and their nana go through mm. and the mother. Um, and I had to really pull myself out of this mental fog and, and, and do it for them as well. And that's so much on top of on top of you know you're already going through a period of grief and then to be diagnosed with a horrible disease. Yeah, just that was the biggest uh, thing. You know, it's huge. And and so COVID stopped her from from having surgery because she was too unwell. Um, She couldn't have a surgery because her heart was a little bit weak and uh, and she passed all the tests apart from the anaesthesia. And then the thing is, said, no, I don't want to put you under because I don't know whether you'll come back out. It's a major surgery on the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to have to grin and bear it and hope chemo will come in. And that's mm-hmm. when COVID hit. Right. And, and then the chemo doctor said, we can't give you chemo. It's going to knock your immune system down so low. And um, you get COVID, you, you'll probably die from it. No. So they said, we're just hoping that the cancer doesn't develop too bad. And it sort of lay dormant for nine months. And then in January of last year, it came back. And it was very aggressive. And within two months, bang, she was gone, you know. Um, It was a terrible time. Um, But the only consolation we all say is um, she didn't suffer with the pain. That's Mm. the next thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But that was in my mind all the time, that am I going to get that sort of thing? And I can pass pain, but, yeah, I don't know, some of the stuff, it does get to you, you know. When you see somebody you love going through it, it's just horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you've got some beautiful family. Your carer um, staying with you at the moment is your granddaughter. Yeah, I've got my granddaughter, Tori, and I've got three great-grandchildren staying with me. Um, Well, they keep you on your feet. (laughs) Sorry? They keep you on your toes. Yeah, they most certainly do. <laughs> um, but, no, I've got a really supportive family. We've got 25 grandchildren and 24 great-grandchildren. Wow. And they ring me nearly all, nearly every second day. Um, that is beautiful. They just sort of pick me up a little bit, and and I find that that's really lovely. That's, you know, mm. it's got that bring, family brings- support. Yeah, it makes you quite grounded, I think, when, when young ones, you know, when the, the especially the great-grandchildren are talking to you, they're, you know, they're oblivious to to life's trials that we all go through and they, they're very innocent in the way they speak and I think that's it, it. No matter what mood you're in, sometimes that can cheer you up because they're just so the, – the things that come out of children's mouths is just so innocent. You are Beautiful. dead right there. Mm. <laughs> you are dead right. <laughs> Um, and do you think right at the beginning, when when that mate said you've lost seventeen kilos, do you, do you think that, or you've lost a lot of weight? Do you mm. think being kind of remotely based and and having your work, and do you think it's something that you just went, oh well, even before that, we going, I'm losing weight, but it's probably just the hard work, or there could be something wrong, but there's not many, there's not much help medically out here anyway in terms of those five clinics or that because you were saying to me the other day that they even on the weekend it's considered they're shut there is somebody on call but only for emergencies only for emergencies is that right? yes yeah. yeah i mean they are good in the clinics i will say that yeah oh absolutely um, but they would have to get the flying doctor in mm. and you know to bring the flying doctor in from adelaide it's about five hours out Mm. And then to say, being diagnosed, well, look, you'll have to go and have some tests. It's really pointless getting a flying yeah. doctor in. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to do anything apart from maybe fly you out. And if it's not an emergency, 
you're going to bat there for nothing. And, and you know, yeah. they've got a they got a lot of commitments and with sex oh, absolutely. and you know, yes. and things like that. So I didn't want to do that. No, I've had that. Happen yeah, it before. was good that you. It was good that you. That you did seek help the day that you did, probably, or you may have had to call, call oh, them. Yeah. You know, yeah, down I, the track. I realised so. that if I hadn't mm. bit the bullet that day and and did it, I think next day I'll be on my back and I'd have to find up for him. I was getting sick, and and for me to admit that. Uh, it's a big thing. I used to grin and bear it and say, oh, well, I'll get over this, no worries, and, and nine times out of ten you do, you know? Hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so to turn to a positive, um, you said you're going back to work in June, so yeah. you've told your boss and you're all ready to do that, so that's something to look forward to for you because I yeah. know you love your work and you love Definitely. being around around the guys that work there and um, back into kind of that social Social being again, isn't it? Because if being in the the accommodation must be a bit lonely at times, even though you've got your family's family around you, it's um it's not your mates around you. And I know with COVID, we haven't been able to have visitors, so that would you know that's pretty hard. So go, you you must be excited about getting home and yeah, mixing I with am. people again. Um, I am in a way, um, but I do have to say the support that um, we get here from the the Leukemia Foundation is, it's, you can't really describe how well this place can run. And and I'm not saying that because I'm looking at you right now. It is, <laughs> it is no. just great. Everybody is so cheerful, so helpful. Um, you can't do enough for people here. Mm. And, you know, not a great lot of people know about this place. No, that's it's true. Um, so don't you worry. I'll be, hopefully it's not from people with cancer, but I'll be spruiking the, um, spruiking the um, the the care and kindness to get yeah. And it's true what you say. It's um, it's you know we we try and make it like that. We try and make it the best kind of home away from home that it can be. And I think you know with the people that we have around us at the moment in the organisation in in Adelaide, it's it's a beautiful place to be, mm. even at a time when it's not a great time to be anywhere. Um, so that's really good that you feel that, and it's good that. But you're right about people not knowing because until you need services like us, people don't really think about services like us. So it's not something that, you know, Leukemia Foundation, I guess, is known for the greatest shave and things that we do in, in the fundraising space, but we don't really, yeah. patients don't necessarily learn about us until, yeah, until well, was, until a practical thing is needed. Like I was support. actually very lucky, Vanessa, um, when I went to see my haematologist, um, and don't ask me her last name, it's about 20 letters long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's, she's great, she really is. Yeah. There was another lady there called Sam Caracas, and she was a lymphoma coordinator, and she actually married um, a young man in Port Lincoln that I knew his, bro- his uncle very well, um, Stephen Caracas. And yeah. um, she said, you know, we can put you up in the, in the cancer um, in the cancer motels, one on Greenwell Road, one on Equipment Terrace. She said, but I think the best shot for you, Robin, you're going to be in. We can't let you leave Adelaide with the tuberculosis and the lymphoma the way it is. Mm. So we're going to try and get you into the Leukemia Foundation, the three-bedroom apartment there, and you can have a carer there, your granddaughter or whoever you choose. And um, because my granddaughter um, at the time had a four-month-old baby, she wasn't working. So um, she was a logical one to come in and everything. 
Um, but Sam was was really, really good getting me into this place. Within, I think it was four days of inquiring, um, I was virtually booked in the following day. Mm, yeah, so, I remember. Yeah, it just went so quick. Yeah. Uh, and it took a lot of pressure off my mind because mm. I'm trying to work out how can I afford to pay for motels and stay in Adelaide, you know, and I thought three months at the time. Um, now it's going to be seven months, but that doesn't mm. worry me. I'm, no. I'm, I want to follow all my treatments through, even though that I'm nearly all clear now. I want to make sure it's done properly and then they have the follow-up scans and every couple of months like that. So, yeah, this is a big thing off my mind of, of the uh, – the cost of everything in Adelaide. Mm. Even though I'm mm. bored, I love my fishing and I love my work, but I realise I've got to do it. And um, it's working, put it that way. It, absolutely. It's a, it's a, a story <laughs> that um, we love to hear when when people are, are so unwell and then and, and you've gotten through your treatment and, you know, you, you're kind of at the other end, as you say, with the, the lighter end of the treatment. and yeah. And you got your your energy back, and you're you're back to your normal, sprightly self. So it's and and I'm sure that you still have a lot more fatigue than you have in the past. And I know that you like your nana naps, so um, you know that's important. And to keep keep doing that, and keep listening to your body, and oh and yeah, having those naps and doing that little bit of exercise that you can do because yeah, yeah. One, you're such an active man. The one thing I will say, um, they did say when I had all this treatment and everything. Um, you know, I'm going to lose the taste, uh, lose the sense of smell, taste. Mm. Won't want to eat things like that. But I've been sort of forcing myself to eat because I know that what I'm eating, like fruit and vegetables and um, big meals and things like that, that's doing my body good. And I've always been a good eater, even though when I've been a bit crook and everything, I've always forced myself to have a feed um, because that's the only thing going to keep your body going. You know? So, yeah, I've got that um, thing. But the worst part about it, um, I'm always worried about this bloody COVID and everything, mm. um, and everybody's going through it. We know that. But all the symptoms of COVID with a runny nose and, and fatigue and headache and everything, I get that from my chemo Before anyway. Got, yes. <laughs> so I, I do a rubbing engine test every two days, mm. um, and, and it's all been clear. But I've got to do it only just to be safe more than anything, you know. But I don't expose myself outside. I always wear my mask and everything. Um, I'm very careful in that regard. Yeah. So touch wood, yeah. um, I don't get that, put it that way, you know, because my immune system, around about every three weeks, is really down low. My white blood yes. cells. Yeah. And they always give me a needle in the, in the stomach and that picks me up again. Um, and that's another painful one. That goes into your bones. And it feels yeah, like that's paralyzed. that's the GCSF, isn't it? Goes into your tummy and then your bones. Yeah, that's it. Yes, and it yes. feels like you're paralysed. You get it feels mm. like I've got a crooked back and, and I can't move and things like that. Um, but after about three days, that goes away, and um, you're back to normal again. Mm. You know? So yeah, it's I a long it's a long journey, but I've already done. I've been five months in Adelaide, four months on chemo now. So wow. not three months. That's nothing for me. Mm. You know? It's amazing, and and I think and I think that you brought up COVID. I think the COVID stuff makes people a little bit more nervous about returning to normal and returning home as well, because at least in the you know in the accommodation that it's very you know it's very well protected in the accommodation, yeah. and you're only really yeah. transporting to hospital and back, and and then for you know groceries etc. But 
um, being back out with community and at work is is a little bit stressful when when your immune system is quite low. So uh, that that is a, a worry for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, well, when I when home. I do, I've been home twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, my hematologist said I could go home and spend a few days home, see my family, which I did after three and a half months. And um, I stayed at my daughter's house instead of staying out at um, Yarralina, where, where we got a house out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed at my daughter's house. But my daughter works in um, at the hospital in Sojourner uh, doing the COVID in the hospital. So she actually has to be tested every day. And okay. she tests the children every day as well. So I was going into a clean environment in that mm. And they're so careful, yeah. And they're very careful, very careful for their work-wise and everything. So that wasn't too bad in that regard. Mm. But it was stopping on the road. If you pull in for a roadhouse and that, you think, should I go in there, should I not? So what my daughter used to do when I leave, my granddaughter used to do here, um, she'd make some sandwiches and, and cold drinks and everything, and I'd have a feed on the road. And then when I come home, my daughter did the same in Sierra, um, so I travelled. Didn't have to go right out there. Great idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, stay away from it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and then when you get back home, what's your kind of like? You love your fishing, so once once you get back to work and get into a little bit of a routine, as you said, you you're going to take it slow and do some work on on your own. I think you've got a car that you want to work on. Yeah. Um, do that yeah. first. See how much work you can fit into a day without getting exactly absolutely right. Exhausted. And see if I really need to have that that rest during the day. And um, that will be the biggest thing because um, our company, well, not our company, my boss's company and everything, <laughs> um, builds roads um, all on the isolated areas, the APY lands, and next mm-hmm. job is up in Inaminka doing mm-hmm. 70 k's of roads up there, uh, getting ready to get bitumized, so I'll be on the nose and the, and the dump truck and everything mm-hmm. and the machines. And I, and I don't want to go up there and then can't do a decent day's work because that, um, that plays on him. He's not getting the work done. So I've got to be really yes. careful um, committing myself. I think I can do it, but I want a fortnight home. Just to pot around, go and get some, change tyres, fix cars, and if I think I'm all right then, which I think I will be, then I will go back to work. But I will do the right thing by the boss first. Mm, absolutely. No, that's fantastic. But, yeah, and listening to your body and making sure. And even if the boss said to you, you know, if you could do this many hours a day, then take a break and have that rest. And, and But I yeah, suppose it's hard when you're out thing. working on roads, though. There's nowhere he, to have a rest. <laughs> no, he did say to me, he said, Robin, I don't know how you're going to go back up there. He said, because there's no light duties, you know that. Mm. And I said, no, I don't want no light duties. If I can't go to work, I won't even go up there. Yeah. I said, yeah. but um, I'm going back to work and I'm telling you now, Snowy, I'll be back at work. And he said, yeah, I know what you like too, you know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hopefully I've got two of my grandsons um, that when the job starts in three months, they're going to be employed as well. So I can actually oh. help teach them. Um, one's on the cattle station up at Macumba out from Moonadatta and the other one works mm-hmm. in a yard gang at Wyala. Um, wow. Both 23 and 24 years old, young fellows, Hard young working. families. Um, and what I want to do is get them into the workforce so that when I retire, they can continue on and um, they'll have a, end up with a really good job out of it, you know? Mm, that's so fantastic. It'll be nice having the family there for support. They'll be able to help me a little bit, the two grannies. Yeah. You know? Two strong young lads, they can yeah, help you Yeah, most certainly. They're built like bloody <laughs> thing too, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. 
Oh, that'll be fantastic. You yeah. have such a strong family connection. It's beautiful. Yeah, and that's um, the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know whether you know with Aboriginal families and everything, um, they are very strong, connected families. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even my wife and everything, you know, after she passed away, even when we get together, um, all the gang, all the family and everything, we tell her stories as well and to the great-grandchildren so they can remember their nana, even though they never met her, some of them. That's And um, they'll be able to remember those first stories. And we've always got her pictures up showing them kids and things like that. And yeah. Probably when I go, they'll do the same. Hopefully they'll do the same for me, you know. I bet they will. <laughs> and you said that she, her family, were the yeah. traditional owners of the, the Maralinga land. Maralinga, yeah. Yep. And that's where Maralinga is where they did a lot of the testing. The, that's the where they did the seven major atomic bombs um, mm. in, well, they first started in 1956, four that's there terrible. in 56, three in 57. Um, but it wasn't the major bombs that did the damage. Um, it contaminated the land, but it was only mm-hmm. short term. It was a minor experiment they did for the next six years uh. afterwards, 700 minor trials where they used pure plutonium and uranium-239 and, and beryllium and all those those ones. They were mm. the ones that done the damage. That's why they did a big clean-up in 1994 and 2000. Yep. And um, I missed out on that clean-up. I should have been there for that. Um, wow. But I was walking down the road ready to go to Adelaide to get a job with McMahon's Construction on the clean-up, mm-hmm. and um, my old boss, Chuck Fisherman, he pulled up to get oh. the end of the bus stop and he said, where are you off to? I said, I'm going to Adelaide. I'm going up to Maralinga to work up on the Maralinga lands uh, on the clean-up up there, clean the radiation up. He said, well, I just bought another boat and I need another abalone diver and a shark fisherman. So I'll pay you double wow. what they're going to pay you. And I said, you fair thing, Mr. Yep. I said, right, I'm done. That's it. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and that was it on the floor of the moment, yeah. You had jobs coming out of everywhere. So tell us a little bit about abalone fishing. So how long did you do that for? Well, you I, obviously were experienced before then. So. Yeah, I first uh, I left school when I was 14 years old in Port Lincoln. Um, I had no worries about going to school. Um, I'd breeze through school, you know. Um, I'd wag school three <laughs> days a week and, and still pick it up at the end of the week. Because wow. you know? oh. um, one of my best mates was Tony Sandick. Um now he's a, a multi-millionaire and um he me and him started fishing at nine years old we used to go and borrow his father's rowboat we rode from north shields into port lincoln catching squid and tommy ruffs and that and wow. get his father to sell it for us oh, so entrepreneur we, from yeah north. so once we got once i got to 14 years old all my mates were working i said no no i'm going to work dad said no you're not you're going to get a trade first <laughs> He said, but you haven't got a job. I said, yeah, I have. I'm starting on the torpedo tomorrow morning, tuna fishing. He said, you can't go on that boat. It's the worst boat in the fleet. I said, at the start, well, I only did one trip on there, and it was the worst boat in the fleet too. <laughs> yeah. But um, as soon as I come back in, I got another job on, on um, the Rosalind Star, and that was a better tuna boat. And then from then on, I just stuck it out. I went shark fishing. And prawn fishing and everything. And then along come when I was 16, Hagen Steer come along um, and a bloke called Donnie Morrison, and they needed an abalone diver. And I said, I've never done abalone diving, but I said, I've done free diving all my life. I said, Yeah, I'll give it a go, no worries. 
And um, you've done free yeah. diving all your life, did you say? Yeah, we used to dive oh. years ago down in Port wow. Lincoln. They didn't unload the tuna at the wharf. They unloaded the town jetty, and they unloaded it with just a, a rope and a hoist, and they pulled six tuna up at a time. Nine times out of ten, they dropped one tuna in the water. Oh. Our kids used to dive down, and they'd give us two shillings if we were recovering tuna from the bottom, wow. and it was 25 feet deep, see? <gasps> um, us kids are way down there. We'd dive down, pick the tuna up, and then we'd get about ten tuna a day. So we make about a pound a day. We were in big money then, you know. We were only kids. This is in the bloody That's crazy. in the sixties, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, so that line might be easy. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I still, I went. My last dive was probably about seven months ago, um, but that was only thirty foot deep. I couldn't do 80, 90 feet dive anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the bends twice. Diving out the islands from Sajuna, um, and that's painful. Uh, mm -hmm. Not as bad as the chemo, but it's bloody painful. <laughs> sure. But no, I've had a good life in that regard. You've done um, so much. But I still love my fishing. A lot of people, you know, if you do work and everything, they say you don't want to go back and do um, that as a recreation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll go fishing any day if I can. I just love it, you know, I really do. Well, that's great. Well, hopefully when you get home and you start a little bit of work again, you go fishing and you can get back into your little bit of a routine again. Yeah, what would be so. if you if you had to share with any of our listeners that have, you know, that are living with a, a blood cancer at the moment or just been diagnosed or, you know, about to start treatment, what's a little a little golden nugget of, of how to move forward, how to kind of get you through that You know what period. I think it is? Yep. I think myself is the day that I started listening, the same day they told me I had lymphoma, um, I listened to my hematologist straight away and my lymphoma coordinator, mm -hmm. and everything they told me to do, I did. Now, this might sound silly, um, but she said, Robin, because you got the tuberculosis as well, we're worried about that. She said, but your lymphoma is really, really bad. And she said, if you don't have this chemo, she said, you won't see the end of February. Three months and you'll be gone. And I said, well, you know, I want to do it straight away. And she said, that means no alcohol. And I said, well, that'll be a bit of a shock because I like yeah. my beer after work. Yeah. I, I will do it. And I did, did not it. have a drink for three and a half months. And when she gave me the all clear and she said, you know what, you can have a couple of beers tonight just to celebrate, but don't go over the fence. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I had three beers. Just to listen to what they tell you, they're the experts. Yeah. They know what's going on. They know what your body's going to tell you and everything. Um, you don't know. You've never had this thing before. Um, so you can't really decide, well, this is my treatment. I'll do this and this and this. So everything they told me, I listened to. And I still today. And when she said to me, um, are you still having a couple of quiet beers? And I said, yeah, I have two or three beers on a Saturday night. I said, but nothing else, hmm. don't hit the heavy stuff, any rum or anything like that, do the right thing. He said, no, that's good. He said, it hasn't affected your treatment, so you continue on doing that. But like I said, they are the experts, Vanessa. And that's a great, that's a, uh, that's, yeah, so true. And I think, you know, there are times when we question treatments because they are tough and I think sometimes the treatment makes you feel worse than yeah. than the actual disease but but there is a as you've 
you know, you can prove today that there is light at the end of the tunnel and, and you do come out the other end and and even though you're still undergoing treatment, you've, you've through the worst bit. So yeah. uh, I think that's a really good thing to share and also and also that, yeah, they are the specialists and that they've, they've studied this for years and, exactly and the treatments right. are, and the treatments improve every every oh, year as well yeah. and the, the, the amount of research that's going on out there is is crazy so yes that's well, great. Look, you, you hear about it um 15 20 years ago if people got cancer it wasn't well are they going to get better it was when are they going to die mm. um nowadays um it's got to be pretty bad cancer to knock you and it still does it still kills mm. somebody and that oh, yeah. they're improving all the time Absolutely. <coughs> Thank you, Robin. That was very, that's, yeah, beautiful story and beautiful. Uh, I just think that, you, yeah, you, you, you exude this personality that you just you can get along with anyone and you, you have brought lots to, the, to us, to, to the foundation and to Lights View and Bridgestone Village. Danielle raves about you as you know she's always out the front and she's always very happy when she sees your face as as for everybody here so we've loved having you and i thank you so much for doing this today it's been just before i go um if i do get the opportunity i'm going to get you to put it up on the podcast i'm going there to get a t-shirt made up and on the front of the t-shirt i'm going to put i survived the bullet which i did 33 years ago shot in the face Um, a shark attack because I got me and my diver got stalked oh. by made a white great white out from Sagurna one time. I... Um, but he was on top of the water, thirty feet. We we're on the bottom, so oh. shark will never come down. He's got to come up. No. and we dodged a bullet there. Wow. Um, survived all the radioactive material at Maralinga, yes. fifty odd years, and surviving bone cancer. So I'm going to put all that up there and then on the back of my T-shirt, how's that for an effing life? <laughs> it's still going. It. Yeah. I love it. I'm definitely it. going to show you that one. Well, I'll do you worry. know what? I, I feel like we need one podcast for each of the bullets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah such I good know. stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right, thank but, you so um, much. Even today, um, like this morning, I had to go and get my medication. I forgot to get it the other day and I had enough with tomorrow, but I thought I'll pop in this morning. And um, every time I go into Royal Adelaide, I just walk straight into the hematology ward. And I said, I'm just coming to get weighed again. Yep, no worries. You know where it is, Robin. I weigh myself every week. And then the last week, I put on 3.2 kilos. Oh, wow. So, which is good for me. Mm. Um, and I'm feeling a lot better in my body itself. Um, and I know right. that I'm on the, on the improve, whereas before mm. my body was telling me there was something wrong. You know? Yes. But um, just a little thing, even the ladies in the Royal Adelaide, they're the nurse and everything. Yeah, you know where everything is. You've been here before. You go and do it all. You, know? you made yourself just, at home. <laughs> just little little kindnesses like that, that, that you walk away happy. You yes. Think, I've had a good day today. You know, yeah. that's what I feel like, sort of. Yeah. So uh, it could be that even, you know, even during what many would perceive as their worst time, you can still find those joyful moments when when people show kindness and and yeah, yeah, to just just give that little bit of themselves to patients that are that are going through a horrible time. So that's yep, that's yep. how it should be. <laughs> well, the one consolation though, 
I, because I'm bald anyway, I haven't yes. had to pay for a haircut for four months. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saving on razor blades. I haven't had a shave for five weeks, and I've still got no whiskers yeah. and everything. But well, I'll come back. Yeah, yeah they will. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'll no, there's let no you worries, but it's been a real pleasure, and I just hope um, that some other people do get to see this. And um, realise, I, I realise it's bad getting it, don't worry about that, but there are light at the end of the tunnel um, if they do the right thing and, and listen yep. to what their doctor tells them more than anything and their body as well. Yes, no? yes, intuition and your body is... is but it is, makes a big difference when you've got support of what we've yep. got here right now. It really, really does. And to see all your little joyful faces every time I come in, um, that, that picks me up too. Mm. It does, you know. Mm, you've always, your staff always got a smile, even Darren outside when he's working outside. And, oh, he's always grinning, Darren. And Kieran, Kieran, isn't it the cleaner? Yes. Yeah, I always have a yarn in about six o'clock in the morning yeah. on a Sunday morning and everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's always early. But no, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to tell a little bit of my story. You know. No worries. Thank you so much, Robin. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope that you found it helpful in some way. If you would like more information on today's show or our services, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.